Well, brethren, we're going through a lot. God's people are going through a lot. Deep thoughts by Andy right there. We, we know that. We know uh, the challenges we're facing. We're being tested. We're being tried. We're being tempted. We're battling ourselves. We're battling our nature. We're battling priorities in life. We're battling wicked spirits in high places, aren't we? As we recognize all of these things that we're facing, you know, how many of us expect that these, these things may start to lessen a bit in the coming months? You know, I, th I think maybe, maybe we'll just let up a little bit. How many of us really expect it? Of course. Of course not. Uh, we know that as Scripture tells us, things, things are going uh, to, to intensify uh, in, in the upcoming years leading to Christ's return. We know that it's reality for us. Reflect on some of those for a bit. Reflect on some of the, the, the trials and stresses that you're experiencing, some, maybe the temptations. Re reflect on some of those that you're experiencing internally, uh, some of those that you're e experiencing externally from external sources. Think about that for a little bit. And I would ask us to ask this, to ask this question today. From these trials, these tests, these temptations, these battles, sometimes uh, sufferings, are you and I learning the right lessons? Are you and I learn are we learning the right lessons, the correct lessons from what we're experiencing? That's one half of the title of today's message. Uh, let's let's just reflect on something for a bit just just to to see where we are, okay? Let's uh, let, let's take say the current Ukraine Russia situation. Uh, as we reflect on what's happening on, on the, the invasion process and we look at the suffering that's going there and then we're also thinking about uh, the lessons learned from this. How many of you have heard or have considered, you know what, if, if that president that we had that was before the current president were still in power, what did he say about opening up fuel and oil and natural gas production? Where would we be as a country right now? And in fact, in listening to one of his statements that he made in 2017, 2018, I listened to it this week, where he was telling uh, Germany, you need to diversify. You're re relying so much on Russian oil right now, you're going to find yourself in a world of hurt. Where would we be right now had we as a country uh, still been in the state where we're producing the kind of oil that we could be producing to where we're not worried about what's going on with Russia, to where we're not worried about what's going on with OPEC, whether they open things up or not. And you know what? I wouldn't be paying $4 a gallon for gas. Or if I'm in Paul Carter's area, I wouldn't be paying $5, $6 a gallon for gas. Look where we would be. How come we can't learn the lessons of that? And if we had been in the right situation, then I could be going to Walmart to pick up my great value half and half and, and walk in the store and there's a lot of great value half and half because when I have my coffee, I've got to have turbinado sugar, I've got to have coffee mate with a little bit of French vanilla and I've got to have my half and half and if I don't have that, the coffee's bad. And we don't have things running, running now. You go into the stores, where do you see things? What, what's going on in the stores? Things are empty, the shelves are empty. You know, if things would be a little bit different, we wouldn't be dealing with this right now. Any of those uh, thoughts uh, flash through some people's minds? And on the flip side, as I listened this week to, uh, I believe it was uh, 
something on NPR. Uh, well, actually, it's been the last couple of weeks, ever since the Russian-Ukraine started. Uh, I've heard some com comment and make commentaries on, can you imagine what kind of state the world would be in right now if our previous president was, was still here? That guy was so unpredictable, he, he had his finger on the nuclear button. Can you imagine where we would be in the world? We, we, we could be in a really bad state. He could start the whole thing. Who knows how many he would send there and cause this and that. He would probably stir the whole thing up and we'd be in a world of hurt. Thankfully, we have this guy in charge now, our current president, who is working in a coalition with, with Europe and others to create sanctions that's creating actionable results that puts the hurt and squeeze on Putin, and therefore, we, we, we can work through this. Uh, think about that. Are you and I learning the right lessons? I, I don't know which side uh, who's on or, 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 or where. Uh, I know that we can all find ourselves on either sides of some of these kinds of issues. But are you and I learning the right lessons of what we see going around? I, I'm not going to ask you individually to raise your hands if, if you were on one side or the other of that or if you had a fleeting thought at one time or another. Uh, I submit to you, though, brethren, that we learn the right lessons we learn the right lessons of life if we, are, if we are feeding from the fruit of the tree of life. From which fruit are you and I feeding? I also uh, submit that we will not learn the right lessons from life if we are feeding from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Our approach to life and, and, our, and the lessons that we learn from life can become skewed, or they are skewed often, as we continue or if we choose to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It skews us. And we're in society. We're living. We're seeing the results of cause and effect and all these kinds of things. But it, it can sneak in and skew our, our view and even the, the very lessons that we're learning from life if we allow ourselves to go down that path. I would like all of us today to activate a subroutine while we go through the message and, 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 and keep that subroutine going as we go through it. Be thinking about, hey, where, where am I on some of these things? What, what areas of life am I really chomping on the fruit of the tree, tree of life? And in, in what areas am I allowing myself to take nibbles or maybe swallowing whole? aspects of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the, the, the wisdom of the world that's out there. Because that's the wisdom, that's an example, a small example of the wisdom of the world on, on both sides of the, the political aisle uh, at this point. By way of introduction, or as we try to take a look at that question of, of this uh, activating this subroutine, am I, and fill in your name, am I Am I learning the right lessons from what I'm going through? I'd like to look at a, a person's life today in God's Word. It's, it's an individual whose life paralleled or, or, or went alongside the life of King David. Uh, I believe he came just barely after King David, but he was there. He was there right with him all the way after, uh, all the way to the death of David and, and beyond David's life. I think there's much to be learned from this fellow's example uh, as, we, as we look at this whole aspect of, of learning the right lessons from life and upon what fruit of what tree we choose to feed. 
Let's go to First Chronicles 11. It's, it's a, a fellow that we don't, we don't talk about as often, but he, he's, he's talked about all throughout David's life. And uh, my, my daughter, uh, my youngest daughter in, in Mr. Giese's uh, former prophets class uh, was asked, as, as all the students were, to choose a character. Choose a character from the Bible and talk about and, and study and research that individual's character. Well, she happened to choose this fellow. And I enjoyed uh, reading uh, some of her thoughts as she gathered that in. And it, it wasn't the genesis of, of my message today, but it, it's definitely an element with respect to this. And that fellow's name is Joab. Joab. Joab, let's go to 1 Chronicles 11 to begin today. We'll spend a little bit of time to, to build this as that, as that hopefully that subroutine is, is working in our minds today. Uh, 1, 1 Chronicles 11, 1 Chronicles 11 verse 4. We have, we have this fellow named Joab. He, he was the second son of David's sister, uh, Zeruiah. Uh, Joab was David's nephew. He was blood. He was blood to David. Joab was brother to Abishai and Asahel. As, as I think most of us are aware, we'll, we'll cover just a bit of that. When, when Saul and Jonathan died and David became king, there were some, there were some, some troubles there. But uh, uh, David came to the point to where uh, he began reigning. And, and at some point, all gathered to him, and they looked to him as king, king of Israel. He ruled from where else but Hebron. <laughs> he didn't rule, rule from Jerusalem, as, as, as most of you know. Uh, Jerusalem was controlled by the Jebusites. Uh, it was called Jebus at the time. And the Jebusites were, were some of those that, that Israel did not completely conquer when they, when they entered the land of Canaan. And they were there. And they were there and they said, you know what, we are so fortified that the blind and the lame can keep you out. That, that's, how, that's how strong this, this situation is. Many of you know the story, but let's review uh, just a bit of it here in, in the capture of, of Jerusalem itself as we look at Joab entering the scene. First Chronicles 11 verse 4, David and all Israel went to Jerusalem, which uh, is Jebus, where the Jebusites were, the inhabitants of the land. First, First Chronicles 11, 1 through 3 uh, talks, about, uh, talks about David becoming king. So he says, uh, but the inhabitants of, of, of Jebus said to David, you shall not come in here. Nevertheless, David took the city, uh, took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. Now David said, whoever attacks the Jebusites first shall be chief and captain. And Joab, son of Zeruiah, went up first, and he became chief. Then David dwelt in the stronghold, therefore they called it the city of David. And he built the city around it, from the Milo to the surrounding area. Joab repaired the rest of the city. Not only, did he come, not only was he the first to take it and capture the city, uh, but, but he and, and became chief and captain but of, the, of the army itself, but then he was very much involved in repairing the rest of the city. Verse 9, David went on and became great, and the Lord of hosts was with him. Joab was the individual that, that came and captured Jerusalem. Jerusalem, city of David. The, the, the place where Jesus Christ was crucified. The, the Jerusalem where, where the king of kings will come back and return to this earth and rule the entire earth from that place. 
the, the, the Jerusalem, which is the type of the new Jerusalem, which the great God, our Father, is going to come down and, and place his city for eternity. This, this is an incredible thing that happened with this individual, Joab. First, uh, Second Samuel 5, we won't turn there, but it talks about how that, that occurred. Uh, they went up the water shaft. That was a way, you know, a city could continue to to receive sustenance because their, their water shaft was protect, protected uh, versus when, when they're sieged versus being uh, uh, completely in a drought situation and, and falling much more quickly. So he came, it appears that he was the one then that would have come up through the water shaft and, and, and through that then uh, was, was able to, to uh, create a, an opportunity for the rest of Israel to come in and do that. He was a valiant warrior a valiant warrior. He was the captain of the army. This man was loyal to David, and, and some think that he was probably even with David when he fled from Saul all those years that uh, David was on the run, run. Joab was a man of action. He acted decisively. He assessed situations quickly and, and, and then uh, acted decisively and fiercely in quelling various uprisings. He was cunning. He was a strategist. Uh, we see different things in 2 Samuel 10, uh, dealing with the Ammonites and the Syrians. Uh, just a, an incredible warrior, and, and David used him very effectively in that. But this man, uh, I think, serves as a fantastic example of, of choosing to eat, or because he didn't know better, uh, you know, to, to what degree was God calling him? But these, these Old Testament examples serve as such a great example for us uh, about a, a certain aspect which we'll cover today. The degree to which this man ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Think about that as that subroutine is working. Let's go to 2 Samuel 3. 2 Samuel 3, 3 this actually predates the situation of coming uh, to Jerusalem some six and a half years, uh, seven and a half years after David's, David's reign uh, began. But we have the story of Abner. As, as Saul and Jonathan, uh, when, when Saul and Jonathan died and, and David became king, there was a, a situation of, uh, of is all of Israel going to come down and, and unite through all of this and look to this one man, David, as king? We see the story of Abner coming into play. Abner was a, a commander uh, in the army, uh, loyal to Saul, and served him faithfully. Abner had gotten in a row with uh, Joab's men at one point, a little bit before uh, or there was a battle at one time before, and in that, that battle, uh, at one point, uh, one of, uh, of Joab's brothers was killed by, by Abner, and Joab didn't like that. Second uh, Samuel 3, verse 17. Second Samuel 3, verse 17. Actually, uh, let's look at verse 9. So Abner is assessing this, the situation and seeing, seeing how it's all coming together and knowing this, what had happened with Samuel anointing David and that David's role was to assume uh, the, the kingship as he was the Lord's anointed for that. Abner realized that and, and realized that that was God's hand in doing that. He saw the hand of God, he saw the direction of God 
And, and despite knowing what that could mean for him, he yielded to that and fully went forward. It says in verse 9, uh, just breaking into the thought, may God, he says, may God do so to Abner, and more also, if I do not for David, as the Lord has sworn to him, to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel uh, and over Judah from Dan to Beersheba, the, the entire land, the 150 miles of, of north to south of this land of Israel. So it says in verse 17, now Abner had communicated with the elders of Israel, very, very influential person, saying, in time past, you were seeking for David to be king over you. Now, now then do it, do it. For the eternal has spoken of David. By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and the hand of all their enemies. And Abner also spoke in the hearing of Benjamin. Then Abner also went to speak in the hearing of David in Hebron, all that seemed good to Israel and the whole house of Benjamin. So Abner and 20 men with him came to David at Hebron, and David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. And Abner said to David, I will arise and go, and I'm going to gather all Israel to my lord the king, that they may make a covenant with you, and that you may reign, you David, may reign over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. Wow, we've got the beginnings of peace. We've got a man who sees what, what God is doing and, and yields to that, and he's going to help in uniting Israel for one common uh, cause, which is God's cause. At that moment, verse 22, the servants of David and Joab uh, came from a raid and brought much spoil with them. Abner was not with David in Hebron, for he had sent him away. So he had gone in peace. So verse 23, Joab and all his troops who, that were with him had come. They, they told Joab, saying, well, Abner the son of Ner came to the king, and, he, and the king sent him away, and, and he's gone in peace. Joab came to the king and said, what have you done? Look, Abner came to you. Why, why is it that you sent him away? And he's already gone. You, you, you could take care of this. You could take care of this potential problem. You could deal with him, and he'd be gone. He'd be out of the picture because he represents a threat. Now, there were some other issues. Obviously, the, the, the death of, of his, uh, his brother at the hands of Abner in a, in a battle. And he's already gone? Verse 25, and here's this reasoning reasoning from the, from the, the cunning and, and the, the, the decisive action, the, the strategist standpoint. He's seeing this does not make sense. He's, he's doing this for a certain reason here, David. You need to wake up to this. You don't realize how this works here. Verse 25, surely you realize that Abner, the son of Ner, came to deceive you. He came to spy you out, to spy out your land, in a sense, to spy out your, the way things work here, to know you're going out and you're coming in, and to know all that you're, you're doing. He's going to take you down. Verse 24, and when Joab had gone from David's presence, he sent messengers back after Abner. Joab did this, who brought him back from the well of Sirah, but David didn't know about it. I've got to take matters into my own hands. This is not working out the way that it should. If we go this path, I know David has said this, and I know he's doing this, and yes, I know he's the Lord's anointed, but I know what's going on here, and as I reason this and this and this, I've got to do something about it. I've got it for the, for the sake of Israel, for the sake of David, uh, and for the sake of the, the, the entire kingdom. So when Abner had returned to, to Hebron, 
Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him privately, and there he stabbed him in the stomach so that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. I, I, I believe that in part it was that, but I don't believe that was everything. I don't believe that was everything. He saw him as a threat. He saw him as a threat to David. He may have even seen it as a threat to his own, his own uh, ability to lead because of David's respect for what Abner had done. Verse 28, afterward, when David heard it, he said, My kingdom and I are guiltless before the eternal forever for the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. Let it rest on the head of Joab and on his father's house, on all his father's house, and let there never fail to be in the house of Joab one who has a discharge or is a leper, who leans on a staff or falls by the sword, or he who lacks bread. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner because he had killed their brother Asahel at Gibeon in, in the battle. It's interesting, David, who... Uh, had his faults uh, and, and battled the things that he battled and, and dealt with what he dealt, uh, though recognized this. And, and look at how David responded in verse 31. David said to Joab, he said to Joab directly, Joab, and to all the people who were with him, tear your clothes, Joab, and all the people, gird yourselves with sackcloth and mourn for Abner. And King David followed the coffin himself. They buried Abner in Hebron, and the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner, and all the people wept. The king even sang a lament over Abner and said, Should Abner die as a fool dies? Your hands were not bound, your feet not put into fetters. As a man falls before wicked men, so you fell. And all the people wept over him. And when all the people came to persuade David to eat food while it was still day, David took an oath saying, God, so do to me and more if I taste bread or anything else till the sun goes down. All the people took note of it regarding their king, and it pleased them, since whatever the king did pleased all the people. For all the people in all Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's intent to kill Abner, the son of Ner. David didn't just put that out and act the way that he did to let the people know that that wasn't the case. He did it because he was truly saddened, truly regretted this, this murder that had taken place. Then the king said to his servants, Do you not know that a prince and a great man has fallen this day in Israel? And I am weak today. Though I am anointed king, I am weak. And, and these men, the sons of Zeruiah, are too harsh for me. The Lord will repay the evildoer according to his wickedness. Acted decisively for the strength of the kingdom. A little bit of vengeance going on there as well. He was a very loyal man though. And when we look at his life, he participated in the murder of Uriah the Hittite. He was an accomplice in that. David asked him to carry that out, and due to his loyalty and, and, and all the other uh, things that were going on behind the scenes, he, he acted uh, as an accomplice in, in the murder of Uriah the Hittite. And then we come to this enigma, in a sense that some would say, and, and I, again, I, I think it, that it speaks to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He, he, we come to the situation of Absalom. I won't uh, read through the story, but... I, I think we remember the story of Absalom. Absalom had a sister, Tamer, and uh, loved his sister. Uh, 
And, and then there was another in Absalom, obviously a son, uh, son of David. And, and then we have uh, Amnon, who is also, uh, also the, the, son of, uh, the son of David. So here they are uh, in the situation. If you want to reference that, let's go over to uh, 2 Samuel 13. 2 Samuel 13. This, these are these prophecies being fulfilled as, uh, as a result of, of David's sin with Uriah and with Bathsheba. But, but so, so in that situation and, and as a result of, of, of what happened, we've got Amnon that is, is completely infatuated with Tamer and works out a, a situation with Jonadab to where he gets uh, Tamer and then violates her. And then after he violates her, he detests her and, and puts her away. And, and we've got this situation now where Absalom uh, realizes his sister has been violated and he hated Amnon for it. Uh, and, and it was an awful thing that, that Amnon had done. And Absalom's thinking, I'm going to get this guy. I'm going to get this guy for it. And worked with his servants, and they did. They worked it out and they took, took this guy's life. This was a son of David that Absalom killed. Absalom knew, I've got to get out of here. I've got to flee for my life. David's weeping over the death. He knows his, uh, he has murdered a, an individual, and, and his life is on the line, so he flees. But, but in steps Joab. I, I, I think this is fascinating how Joab began to see what needed to be done. Let's, let's pick up the story here in Second uh, uh, Samuel 13, verse 34. Absalom fled, and the young man who was keeping watch lifted his eyes and looked, and there many people were coming from the road on the hillside behind him. And, and Jonadab, king, uh, Jonadab's, uh, I'm sorry, Jonadab said to the king, look, the king's sons are coming, as your servant said, so it, so it is. So it was, as soon as he had finished speaking, the king's son indeed came up, and they all lifted their voice and wept. They, the sons fled because they thought Absalom was killing all of them. And they said, no, no, he just killed Amnon. Uh, so obviously David was deeply troubled by all of that, but he was also deeply troubled as, as he began to recognize everything that had happened, and he was deeply troubled by the loss of, of the connection that he had had with Absalom and, and wanted to, to somehow restore that. We see, verse 38, Absalom fled and went to, to Geshur and was there three years. And King David longed to go to Absalom. He wanted to get this sorted out, for he had been comforted concerning Amnon uh, because he was dead. Notice who comes on the scene. Joab sees the situation. He sees the impact that the loss of Absalom fleeing and, and the impact that that had had on David, that it was not good for David, and he wanted to see this situation restored. Joab, in his, in his cunning uh, strategist nature, uh, secures a lady who is a wise woman and tells her to act like a woman who's been in mourning and, and explain a scenario, and, and the, which brings David to an obvious conclusion. And then as a result of, of doing all that, she then turns and says, well, this is what's happening with you and your son Absalom. And, and all of a sudden, David got the picture. I, I, need, I need to get this worked out with Absalom. Let's pick up the story here in 2 Samuel uh, 14. 2 Samuel 14, verse 13. 
Oh, so she says, you know, why, why then have you schemed such a thing against the people of God? Okay, all that. So let's go to verse 19. So the king said, when, when she had explained all this and she told the story and, and, and he realized, oh, this is, he's talking about my situation with Absalom and the impact on everybody. Verse 19, so the king said, David said, is this... Is, is the hand of Joab with you in all this? Did he, did he work this out? And, and she says, and the woman answered and said, as you live, my lord, the king, no one can turn to the right hand or the left from anything that my lord, the king, has spoken. Your servant Joab, yes, has commanded me. And he put all these words in the mouth of your maidservant to bring about this change of affairs. Your, your servant Joab has done this thing. But my Lord, David is wise, according to the wisdom of the angel of God, to know everything that is in the earth. Notice verse 21. And the king said to Joab, all right, okay, all right, I have granted this thing. Go therefore now and bring back the young man, Absalom. Notice what Absalom does. Joab, I'm sorry, notice what Joab does. Joab fell to the ground on his face and bowed himself, and he thanked the king. And Joab said, Today your servant knows that I have found favor in your sight, my lord, O king, in that the king has fulfilled the request of his servant. So Joab arose and went to Geshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. Joab wanted what was best. He saw that it was troubling the kingdom. And, and I, I don't believe that, that he was conniving in some way to, to nail Absalom later. He really wanted to see that happen. And, and, and did so in this case, and it worked out very well. Absalom came back. Uh, now, Ab, uh, Absalom wasn't getting to see the king initially, and Absalom was a little ticked about that. And how come, Joab, you haven't arranged to get me to actually spend time with the king, even though I can come back into the country? And he sets Joab's fields on fire. Didn't make Joab very happy. Why are you doing this to me? Well, I haven't been able to see my father, the king. So he worked that out. They got that done. But then Absalom is conniving. He's conniving and, and starting to create a situation, as, as was prophesied, was going to happen with David. And Joab sees the threat. This is a threat. This is a threat to the kingdom. This is a threat to, to everything that's going on here. Uh, what's, uh, what can we do about it? Absalom, in his conniving, works out to where all of a sudden overthrows David. David is fleeing the city for his life, uh, getting cursed as he's fleeing the city. And, and, and then in the process, Absalom comes in and, and, and uh, violates David's concubine. You know, it's all, all kinds of horrible things. And then as a result, now we've got David, who is God's anointed, is, is striving to take back the throne uh, to, to serve as God intended him to serve. So then we see this big battle coming up. Uh, and in the process, let's look at that really quickly. Uh, here in, uh, let's see, it's, yeah, it's down in a, chapter 18, verse, verse 6. So there's, there's the battle that happens where Absalom's people, the Israel, those that stay, and David's people were in this battle. And uh, so we see this, verse 6, the people have went out of field of battle against Israel, and the battle was in the woods of, of Ephraim. The people of Israel were overthrown before the servants of David, and a great slaughter of 20,000 took place there that day. One thing that we don't want to forget, again, is the prophecy that, uh, David, your sin uh, with Bathsheba and Uriah is going to have consequences. In this case, uh, it was 20,000 dead as a result. 
For the battle there was scattered over the face of the whole countryside, and the woods devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. What kind of woods was that? Uh, we see different movies of, of these, these treacherous woods and different things, but imagine uh, that kind of thickness and trying to do battle and fleeing into this and that. So Absalom, uh, the servants of David, uh, uh, met the servants of David, and, and Absalom, we know the story, rode on a mule. The mule went under the thick boughs of the great terebinth tree, and his head caught in the terebinth. This guy had hair. He had massive, thick hair. Uh, my dream of having a massive, thick hair that was lost in my mid-20s. Uh, but but uh, good reason to have short hair, men. Just, just a little, little side point there uh, right here. His head got caught in the terebinth so that he was left hanging between heaven and earth. And, on, and, the, and the mule which was under him went on. So a certain man saw it, told Joab. Joab, you know, here, here, here it is. There, there, there's Absalom. He's stuck in the trees hanging by his hair. Uh, and, and Joab said, you, just, you mean you just saw him? Why did you not strike him down? Now? Why didn't you strike him down right away? I'd have given you 10 shekels of silver and a belt. Verse 12, the man said to Joab, though I were to receive a thousand shekels of silver in my hand, I would not raise my hand against the, the king's son. For in our hearing, in our hearing, we were there. The king commanded you and Abishai and Ittai, saying, beware lest anyone touch the young man Absalom. There was a battle, but David explicitly said, do not kill my son. Do not do it. So this guy is saying to Joab, Joab, I, I, can't, I can't raise my, uh, or, or, or choose to do something against the Lord's anointed, what the Lord's anointed has said. Uh, verse, verse 13, and he said, he said, continuing to Joab, otherwise I would have dealt falsely against my own life if I had done that. For there is nothing hidden from the king. And, and Joab, you know, by the way, you yourself would have set yourself against me. <laughs> You'd have taken me out for doing it. I'm not an idiot, uh, he's saying here. And what does jo Joab say? The man of decisiveness. The man of looking at the situation saying, we've got to take care of business. This person has, has, has uh, completely overthrown the country. We've got to right things. I know David has said this, but I must take matters into my own hand for the sake of what is the good of the country. The ends, the ends justify the means. What's Joab say? Verse 14, I can't linger with you. He took three spears in his hand, thrust them through Absalom's heart where he, when he was still alive in the midst of the terebinth tree, and then ten young men who bore Joab's armor surrounded him, Absalom, and struck and killed him. And they blew the trumpet. Absalom is dead and a great victory. So here we have this great victory. Uh, Absalom did not do what the king had commanded. David is tragically sad. He's devastated by the death. He's weeping as they're slinking their way back into, into Jerusalem. And, uh, and yet they've had victory. And all the victory, chapter 19, verse 2, that day turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard it, uh, heard it said that day, the king is grieved for his son. He covered his face. Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son. And then Joab comes to the rescue. Joab, the person who sees it all, who sees what's best for the country and sees his, his dad, his dad, his, his uncle, that is mourning for the loss of his son, this person who rebelled against him, 
He says, wake up, David. Wake up. Look, look, these people have fought for you. They have battled for you. Uh, and, and they have gained the victory. And you're treating yourself like, uh, in verse 6, in that you love your enemies and hate your friends. You've declared today that you regard neither the princes nor the servants for all that they did to fight. For, I, for today I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died today, then it would have pleased you well, David. David thought about that. And Joab said, get out there and see the people and encourage them. And he did. Joab was demoted for that. Who was put in his place? Amasa. Joab didn't like that. Amasa was sent to deal with the the uprising uh, of, of Sheba. And he delayed in that. Joab didn't like the fact that he delayed. Joab didn't like the fact that he had been replaced. And what did Joab do? He came there on the scene. Hey, Amasa, how's it going? Good to see you. Stab into the belly. And he's, he's lying there in his blood as the people are going by. And then one of, one of Joab's men says, let's go, you know, go on with Joab. Here we go. And they go on and fight, fight and, and defeat the uprising. Decisive, a man of action, but a murderer, a man who justified his actions, a man who never, it never appears that he, had tried, that he attempted to overthrow David, very fiercely loyal to David, taking a little bit here, taking a little bit here, using cunning to, to gain the victory, and, and through his actions, Israel, uh, Israel prevailed in so many situations, but he grabbed a little bit of this and a little bit of that, didn't he? Was he munching fully on the fruit of the, of the tree of life? I think he's a prime example of one who munched on a little bit of everything. He had some good. He, he was the one who tried to convince David not to number Israel. Don't, don't do this, David. This is not smart. God will provide for us. When David was about to die, Joab, in the whole situation, was looking and he was thinking, this, this is not going to go well here for... Uh, I've got to get on the right side on who comes next. And Adonijah looks like he will probably be the best suited to be king. He aligns himself with them. The Lord's anointed is going to be Solomon. Uh, and David anoints Solomon. Uh, and then all of a sudden there's, there are the cheers. Joab realizes he's made some big mistakes by siding with this. And then we see the next part of the story. Let's turn to 1 first, first Kings 2 verse 5. 1 Kings 2 Verse 5, Solomon is, is proclaimed king. David is still alive. And David says this about Joab as he talks to Solomon. I know most of us are aware of this, but it's very telling for the, the point that we're making today. He said, verse 5 of 1 Kings 2, you know, you know, you know also what Joab, the son of Zeruiah, did to me and what he did to the two commanders of the armies of Israel, to Abner, the son of Ner, and Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he killed. He shed blood of war in peacetime, and he put the blood of war on his belt that was around his waist and on his sandals that were on his feet. Therefore, do according to your wisdom, and do not let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace. How did... How did Joab's life end? You remember the story? 
He realized, "Uh uh-oh, this is bad, when Adonijah tried to work an angle with with Bathsheba to get uh, so where he could have Abishag. Solomon realized what he was doing and said, Adonijah is dead. So he takes care of Adonijah, and Joab knows his, his time is coming. A man who was striving to do what he thought was right and was right in this situation and this situation went to the only source that would be his refuge. He went and grabbed on hold of the of the horns of the altar, didn't he? He went into the tabernacle and grabbed onto the horns of the altar for mercy. Solomon said to kill him. Well he's he's there in the kill him. He's done. And his life ended. You know, I, as I think about his life, you know, I, I, I think of this man that took of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He was valiant. He was courageous. He was a man of decisive action. He did a lot of good for the country, and, and he did a lot of good for, for genuine reasons to do a lot of good. Yes, I, you know, sometimes he was motivated by self-interest. Yes, sometimes he was motivated by uh, jealousy. Sometimes he was motivated by vengeance, uh, you know, self-preservation. But, but many times he acted out of what he thought was the right thing to do for the sake of the country. Never tried to take the throne, but he often took matters into his own hands. Directly disobeyed the orders of God's anointed because he knew best. A murderer on several occasions, Uriah, complicit, Abner, Absalom, Amasa. Saw himself as justified as doing the expedient thing in so many circumstances. And yet, and yet this person, what, what did he do at the end of, the, of his life? And this is where I, I think it, it comes back to me as I look at my life and as I look at those, as those subroutines are working about how do I approach life? How do I approach the things in life? How do I approach the, the lessons of life? He appealed to God in the end for mercy. And yet, he was not taking of the true tree of life that, that offers that. With Bible figures like Joab, you know, people like this were a mixed bag. You know, it, may, it makes me wonder sometimes, uh, what life lessons did people like Joab believe they were learning along the way? What, what lessons did they think they were learning? Because, you know, you look at his strategies, you look at the victories that he had, you look at the decisive action, and, well, you know, after uh, Emesi, he stabbed Emesa down the stretch, Emesa's lying there in, in this pool of blood, and, and here we go now on with Joab, and he's back to captain, of, uh, commander of the army again. Uh, you know, what lessons was he drawing from life as he went forward, all the way up to the end where now all of a sudden, oh, this is not going well, I'm grabbing onto the horns of altar for God's mercy. Uh, what lessons did people like Joab believe they were learning along the way? Because they reasoned from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You, we can see how he reasoned in that way. And, and as a result, it skewed things. He never really appeared to learn the right lessons. So what about us? What about us? Those of us here who would say, I'm, I'm, taking, I'm taking of the tree of life. 
That's what I'm grabbing onto. I'm eating of, of, the, of those incredible fruits of the tree of life. Are we learning the right lessons from this experience called life? I submit to you that as we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we also grow in our depth of understanding of the lessons that we're learning. What do I mean by that? Let's, let's deal with that. Bear with me. As I look at the events in my life uh, and in the lives of others, and as I draw, draw lessons, lessons from those events, you know, I, I can draw lessons about what, you know, what should have been done. This should have been done this way, and, and they didn't do it. This, this, this should not have been done, and this was done. Uh, or how something should have been viewed. But, you know, God sees all. He sees all. He knows all. God knows what's best for everyone, everyone in each situation, including what lessons we should even draw from an experience. But the, the longer that I'm alive, uh, uh, the, the more lessons that I learn. And yet, I'm, I'm finding this more and more as I, as I get older, the more challenging I find certain matters becoming. The more challenging it is to figure out the, the right course of action, the right lesson to learn from this experience that, that I've just experienced. The greater discernment and wisdom that are needed to determine the best course of action in matters. You know, I, I think, okay, well, I've been, I've been doing this for, for 20 years now. Uh, many have been going longer, but I, I should have this down by now. But, but I'm, I'm finding that in, in navigating through, through life and, and situations and, and, and such, that, that it is, it, it's the greater discernment and wisdom that I need to be able to make that decision. They seem to be getting more and more challenging. I don't know if it's that way for you. I, I mean, some, sometimes perfect clarity exists for me. I, I can see a situation and assess it with clarity. But often... the if you get what I'm saying, the, the greater knowledge and experience that I gain, the more I recognize all or more and more of the godly principles that are in play with, with each decision that have to be in play in looking at a situation. We know that God's principles never conflict. It's, it's a matter of, of adding God's principles to, to get a greater understanding. But, but think about these principles. Think about these. Truth and justice. Well, we've got to have truth. We've got to have justice, mercy and compassion, actions and consequences. Actions result in consequences. There's a reaping, a sowing, a sowing and a reaping. Got to protect the flock. We've got to protect the flock against wolves. We've got to leave the 99 and go after the sinner. We've got to save a sinner if we can by yanking him or her from the fire. 1 Corinthians 5 says we got to cut a person off if, if that person is, is creating a situation that's causing a cancer to spread in the church. We've got to cut that off. We've got to cut that off. We've got to, in a sense, as 1 Corinthians 5 says, deliver that person to Satan so that person hopefully will come to himself or herself and, 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 and turn from that to come back to the faith. We've got to correct and we've got to comfort. We've got to build up and we've got to encourage. We've got to bear with one another in love. We've got to reject a person after the first and second admonition as that person is divisive. We've got to be willing to yield. 
We've got to be willing, as Paul said in Galatians 2, when Peter was out of it and they were caught up in that hypocrisy, we've got to be willing to withstand them to their faces. We've got to, as we work with individuals, ministry, brethren, as we work with one another, we've got to be willing to restore such a one in in the spirit of gentleness and consider ourselves, lest we also be tempted. And these are big deals. These are big deals to God. This is a really big deal to Him. And I find that the more that I learn, the more that I realize all of these are in play. And, and yet, as, as I build on what we, what we were saying already, sometimes I thought I learned a life lesson from a certain point in my life, a major event in my life, only to realize later as I learn more about God's ways and I learn more about all the principles of God uh, at work, that, you know, at at that time, I only learned a portion of that little lesson. I only just learned the the infancy of of a life lesson. And in some cases, a a lesson that I experienced, a a lesson that I took with me that I experienced so viscerally by, by an event that impacted me so much, I came to realize later as I grew in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, that it even affected that original lesson that I learned, that I, I, I realized, you know what, I didn't get the full picture of that lesson. Uh, only until now uh, am I able to do that. Those that have been around forever, the lessons they learned in the 1950s as the church was growing, the 60s as the, the church numbers were increasing vertically, the lessons learned of the tumultuous times of the mid to late 1970s, uh, which I barely was around for that. I didn't really know what was going on during that time. As I was telling somebody else, I just remember a, a 60 Minutes show where uh, Mike Wallace was interviewing Stan Rader, and I thought, well, well, wait, he, he's in our church. And what, he's, on, he's on TV. What's, what is going on? That's, that's where I was at that age. But, uh, but then, you know, coming into at least being an adult, the, the lessons of the mid-80s around the death of Mr. Armstrong, the lessons that I learned uh, through the events of the early to mid-90s as, as things were turning and as full-on apostasy took root. The aftermath of what happened as the various break-offs of the church experienced the challenges as we've experienced our own through those. The rise of terrorism, radical Islam, in the early 2000s, the attack on terrorism, the events leading up to the division that we've experienced in 2010, Morality issues, gender issues, LGBTQ, media, internet, the pandemic's impact, the war in Europe. These, these things have happened, and they've impacted us, and, and we've learned lessons uh, from them. I recall, you know, drawing powerful lessons from these experiences. This is my 40th Passover coming up. Uh, But the danger, brethren, lies in recalling an experience or or what we would consider a life lesson in such a visceral way that we we concretize that lesson learned without being able to expand on the depth and breadth of that lesson that God may still be wanting to teach us on a deeper level. 
You know, I, I can give some examples. This, this, these are very basic examples, but we, we've heard this. You know, you know, say, for instance, folks that went through the mid-90s thing and, and you know, just feeling like you know, this minister uh, completely abandoned the truth, and I looked to him as shepherd or whatever, and I learned the life lesson. This was such a visceral event. I am never going to put myself in a position to wear uh, a position of trust with, with a minister again. That was so painful, and so I, I will be careful. I will never, as I saw people betray one another, I am never going to make myself vulnerable again. That, that, that's a lesson, a lesson learned. Was it the right lesson? I mean, those are really basic ones. But, but again, run, run that subroutine and, and think about what lessons have we learned? Are they the right lessons? Are we continuing to apply the fruit of the tree of life in making, in, in assessing our lives, at, in remembering, as Mr. Gutierrez talked about, as we reflect back on the things that impacted us? You see what I'm saying? James 5. James 5. This uh, brings us to the, the second half of the title. Uh, let's... Uh, I want us to consider this. I guess we could consider this our, our anchor scripture. And all we have to do in English is, is add one letter or take away, should I say, one letter from Joab to see conversely how we should, we should be. James uh, 5, as we... Uh, Heard, heard this week in one of our classes, uh, you've got the, the stories of Paul that uh, expand out over a variety of, of, of scriptures. It's so critical to get the context. And, and, and with other books, you have ones that will hit this and then hit this, quick things here and there. And we see that happening here with James talking about uh, Job, uh, Job. Verse 7 of chapter 5, James 5, verse 7, Therefore be patient, brethren. Uh, as we're uh, chomping on the fruit of the tree of life, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits? He waits for the precious fruit of the earth. He waits patiently for it until, he receives, until it receives the, latter, the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Don't grumble against one another. Boy, that's easy to do. Brethren, lest you be condemned, behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, and they did so as an example of suffering and as an example of patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job. Job didn't understand why everything was happening in his life, as we, as we know from reading the passage. Uh, he didn't handle it all perfectly. He had a lot to learn. God's intent on what he wanted him to learn was much different than what Satan was saying uh, Job was at his core. And, and, and God knew what he was doing with Job. But we see this. You have heard of the perseverance of Job. Joab took matters into his own hands as he assessed the situation. Job, even though he was not perfect, and we get that, he persevered. He persevered as, as he was learning what he was experiencing. And notice this statement, and you have seen, you have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. 
the end intended by the Lord. Are we learning the right lessons? Hyphen, the end intended by the Lord. As, as we come to Passover, we reflect on Jesus Christ and how he understood and grasped fully the end intended by the Lord. That's why he could endure the sufferings. That's why he could persevere. He recognized that. We know that he learned obedience by what he suffered. Uh, he was full of grace and truth. He learned obedience through that. He endured the cross. He saw the end intended by the Lord, as Roman, uh, Romans 8 tells us, about all these sufferings that we experience. What, what, are they, what do they do? What are they for? What's the purpose? Always kept that out there in the front. Always kept focused on that as we go through things. If, if, we, if we see the end intended by the Lord and we chomp on the fruit of the tree of life, we can learn the right lessons and, and also not only learn the right lessons through situations, we can grow in our depth of understanding of the breadth and depth of the lesson uh, as God is intending as we go through our lives. Let's turn, uh, if we could finally, to uh, Psalm 94. Do, are we learning the right lessons from what we experience, brethren? Do we persevere and do we remain in obedience, trusting in God, saying, I'm not going to take things into my own hands. I'm going to do it God's way because, because of the end intended in the, by the Lord. He's in charge. God sees all. No single individual can prevent the end intended by the Lord. No single individual can prevent that from occurring in your life or in my life as we remain steadfast to our calling. No man, no woman, no government official, no uh, despotic government, no, uh, no Nebuchadnezzar, no member acting wrongly against us, no department head in our local congregation, uh, no deacon, no deaconess, no elder, no elder's wife, a pastor, a pastor's wife, a foundation institute instructor, a regional pastor, a minister on the ministerial services team, a headquarters administrator, or a ministerial board of, uh, of directors members. Nobody, the beast, the false prophet, the evil one himself. No one, no one can prevent the end intended by the Lord from coming to pass in your life. We can choose to view matters through the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We can choose to go at it our own way. We can take matters into our own hand, our lives therefore becoming a blend, a, a bit of good and a bit of uh, evil here and there. Uh, and, and end a little bit of self-deception that we know what's best and find ourselves grabbing onto the horn of the altar for mercy. Are any of us in that? Do we sometimes find ourselves in that? Are we saying, no, I do not want that way. I must fight that way. I must stay on guard against that way because I want the end that is intended by the Lord for you and me. Psalm 94. Do we see what's going on in our lives? Do we recognize the lessons, the teaching moments God is providing for us spiritually in our lives? Are we learning the right lessons from what we're experiencing, as Christ did through what he experienced? Are we allowing God to deepen and widen our breadth of understanding from the lessons we're learning? Persevere, brethren. Persevere, persevere, as our brother in the faith, Job, did, as our Savior, Jesus Christ, did, 
As Job did, he widened and deepened the lesson that he needed to learn. The right lesson, the right lesson he needed to learn. As we do, you and I will see the end intended by the Lord. We will inherit all things. Psalm 94, verse 8. Psalm 94, verse 8. Understand you senseless among the people, and you fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, shall he not hear? He who formed the eye, shall he not see? He who instructs the nations, shall he not correct? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are futile. Blessed is the man whom you instruct, O Lord, and teach out of your law, that you may give him that, that rest from the days of adversity, until the pit is dug for the wicked, for the Lord will not cast off, he will not abandon his people, nor will he forsake his inheritance, but judgment will return to righteousness, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Verse 16, who will rise up for me against the, the evildoers? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul would soon have settled in silence. If I say my foot slips, your mercy, O Lord, will hold me up. In the multitude of all my anxieties, the stresses, the trials, the tests, the battles, the priorities, all of those that we face within me, your comforts delight my soul. May we chomp on that fruit of the tree of life as we go forward, and may God comfort our souls.